Welcome to the A Better Way to Farm podcast, where we share serious secrets about profitable farming. We appreciate you taking the time to join us, and we hope that you'll love the knowledge we share not only with you today, but also in future episodes. So, let's get right into it. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am very fortunate to get to host this tonight. My name is Rod Livesey. I'm a senior director with the Conklin Company and the founder of A Better Way to Farm spend a lot of time bringing great information to growers all across America, and that is our goal, that we always bring something of value, that we make your life better because we get to be a little bitty part of it. Tonight is a great night because we're going to have the opportunity to really bring some fantastic information. Our guest speaker is an amazing individual. We have known him for 21 years, actually, I believe, and it's been a lot of fun, but he is a 25-time national winner in the NCGA contest. He is a multiple-time state winner in the Missouri Soybean Association contest. Does a great job of farming. I'd like to welcome to the call my really good friend from Cape Girardeau, Missouri, Mr. Jerry Cox. Good evening, Jerry. Good evening, Rod. It's a pleasure to be on here with you. Uh, I hope we have a great evening here and we can share some ideas that some people may be able to use and increase their yields and their profitability. Exactly. And that's what the whole thing is about is yields and profitability. Tonight, guys, we're going to focus primarily on corn and soybeans. But please know this. It, this works on alfalfa, wheat, on sugar beets, and cotton. It's on many, many other crops. And while we're not going to focus on those crops tonight, we can get you information for those other crops. I have some friends right now who are foliar feeding wheat down in Tennessee and right now, and I mean right now. So we're well-versed in those things tonight. The focus is corn and soybeans, but we're also going to talk principles, things like time of day, stages of the crop, temperatures, products, how to be able to do this when there's a heavy dew on. So let's dive right in here. Jerry, first of all, I just want to say thank you for taking your time. I know you're busy and there's lots going on, and I just appreciate that. Why don't you share with the people how you and I got started together here in this business? Well, uh, I guess it was 2001 at the Commodity Classic in San Antonio, Texas. I was in the trade show there and walked by a booth by Conklin, and really what caught my eye was the Amplify product. And that was something I thought that might really be a benefit to me. So that's where we first met. I can't believe everything that's happened since I stopped by there. I mean, you know, we, like you say, we've, we've had quite a bit of success. It's thanks to a lot of the common products that I've used to, to cause that. And, and it's not all products. It's also the knowledge uh, that you can learn and how to do things different and do them the right way. Absolutely, and that's the key. Is it, it really is the four R's. The industry talks about it. They're not particularly great at, in, at implementing it, but uh, we do have to have the right product applied the right way at the right rate. It's really important we have the right source of that product to, to get it together. So, Jerry, before we launch off into the the principle, so to speak. I want you to talk a little bit about your operation. Tell us what you're raising down there and a little bit of background on what you do before you get into the foliar feeding. What are the things that you do to set up the foundation so that you have something really good to build on? Well, for people that don't know that's on here, I, I farm in southeast Missouri, pretty close to Cape Girada, Missouri, which is right on the Mississippi River. But our farm is southwest of Cape Girada, so we're not right on the river. We just grow corn and soybeans. That's all I grow. I have no livestock. Corn and soy 
soybeans is it. But even though we're talking about foliar feeding tonight to really get started and do everything else, you, you still need a real good soil test to find out, you know, where you're at. This foliar feeding will work better if everything is just right. I think a lot of times people think as foliar feeding as a rescue operation, which is really not. It's more of an enhancement of something that you've already got started that's very good. You're just going to a lot better. Absolutely. And so, Jerry, how do you get that good start? Obviously, you pull that soil. Well, let's just go back. The year we met, we pulled a soil test. We did an actual test plot there on your farm. Tell us what the results were of following that soil test in that test plot. Well, yes, after I, after I met Rod down in San Antonio, Texas, he drove down from southeast Iowa, and we talked, and he said he wanted me to put out a, put out a test plot, corn test plot. But before we did that, he said, we, we want to take a soil sample of where we're going to put the plot. So we did, and then when we got the soil test back and it was time to plant the corn, the plot was planted exactly as the soil test called for, for as micronutrients and everything. So, you know, if if the soil test said we needed 1.3 pints of zinc or 1.8 pints of copper or boron or whatever it was, that's what we did. We did it exactly as the soil test called for. So I was really interested. So I was wanting to see what was going to happen off all these, you know, the micronutrients and, and the amplifiers, which I was really excited about. That Come that fall, when it was time to harvest it, Rod actually didn't come down to harvest it. I got a local seed guy to bring a weight wagon out, and we waited the plot. And as we went across the field, I, I was just amazed at everything that it said we needed we got a yield increase from it. So that really kind of sold me on soil testing and find out exactly what I needed. Did not start foliar feeding that first year that I started using some of the content products. Matter of fact, I can tell you it was the third year before I actually started doing any foliar feeding. So, Jerry, when you did the foliar feeding for the first time there in 2003, what kind of results did you get? Well... <laughs> I can tell you this. <laughs> I didn't really, I, I did it on my best, best crops, but I can tell you this. We raised our highest yield and our average yield on the whole crop. Now we, we'd already raised it a little bit by using some of the other products, but we went up 40 bushels on our highest yield and uh, our average that wow. first year we started foliar feeding. And what I was really, really tickled to death was, and I want to tell you, I, I got the protocol how to do the foliar feeding, and there's timings, and I, I don't know when Rod wants to start to talk about this, but I did everything exactly, I mean, to the day as close as possible as I could when things should be done. We, we did the tissue test to find out if I was still low in some nutrients. But what was really great about that first year, I'd won a couple national awards before this in the corn growers contest. But that year, we actually won four national awards in the NPGA yield contest. 
Well, at that time, that was the first anyone had ever done it. Now, there's been people do that, but at that time, that was that was the first. That's fantastic. You know, you didn't share those results with me at that point in time, but I knew we'd done something big because your son, who's a great friend of mine, comes and deer hunts. We hang out together. He called me, and he said, you are not going to believe what Jerry just did. And I said, well, share it with me, Matt. And Matt said, he took some of our dirt scoops and our big tractors and he traded them in for a sprayer. Why did you do that? You, you'd been running dirt scoops and doing leveling work for 40, yeah, 30 or 40 years. <laughs> I, 30 years. I, you're absolutely right. I, I, I was down here in this part of the country. We're very flat. There's a lot of fur, what we call furrow irrigation which we just run the water down between the rows. We plant on a ridge and then pump the water down between the rows. And you're right. And the reason, well, I was not ready to quit doing that too, but anyway, the reason I wanted to get the sprayer is because of the timing things. It's hard to get, hire somebody that your local fertilizer dealer or whoever, get out there exactly when you want it done. And that is very crucial in foliar feeding. I mean, if you don't do it at the right time, you just go give me your money and save you all the trouble going about doing it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, so and we're fixing Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's the reason I wanted to get my own sprayer. I know I was pretty lucky that first year. I, I had to hire my spraying done. I know on my second foliar feed, it started raining uh, and raining and we weren't going to be able to get in there with a ground rig. So we're fortunate enough that we have several aerial applicators in our area. And I got it done with an airplane. But like I said, I was determined to get those applications and the timing. And we'll probably talk about that, the timing and everything here in a little bit. But that is so crucial. You know, uh, I had... Most people in here may know who Jenny Heyman is, but anyway, I asked him one time, I said, you know, what if you, you know, you're supposed to be spraying this foliar feed at, uh, say, R4, R, uh, V4, and it, you can't get in there and you and it gets up to about R, R, V6, excuse me. Uh, and he said, well, I said, you can go spray then if you want. But then he said, what we'll do, we'll have to add your name to that long list of people who said they tried foliar feeding and it didn't work. <laughs> so, you know, you got it. The timing is just so critical in on this foliar feeding and conditions. Absolutely. And we're going to get into all those here in a little bit. Before we jump into that part of it, Jerry, uh, you have a, a story that you shared out in Indianapolis, and that's what really prompted this call was the great job you did sharing with the group we had gathered in Indianapolis at ProAg Training. And I would like you to share the story of that soybean field that you had that was rather successful for you. Yeah, you know, every now and then you're presented an opportunity, and uh, it's up to you to, to do what you can do with it. So I have grown seed beans for uh, Pioneer for probably getting up close to 15 years or more now. But about five, I guess it would be about six years ago now, they wanted me to grow some experimental beans for them. Well, you know, you get paid on how many bushels they make. And if it's experimental, you don't have any idea how they're going to yield. So what they will let you do is plant what they call an adenum field, 
this field that I did plant was 31.4 acres. And you can plant whatever variety you want. And whatever that yield is on that field that you choose, they assign that to the field that you had this experimental beans in. So I had 600 acres of this one particular number. So I said, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to get that denim field the highest as high a yield as I can. You know, it's going to be multiplied times 600. If I raise one more bushel on that field than what my experimental beans is, that's 600 times that one. If you raise 10 more bushels, well, it's 6,000 more bushels that you're going to get paid for. And not only do they just pay me, they pay me all my premiums, too, on top of what I got for my other beans. And I was probably a little off of what actually should do, but I wanted to just see what I could do. So I made it up my mind to spray them every week. So once they got up and out of the ground, now I did not have any infertile fertilizer on the beans at all. One of the reasons I probably would have put just a little, but my starter fertilizer system stopped working right when I finished with corn and I wanted to get this field planted. So I planted it, and uh, matter of fact, I finished planting corn on a Saturday afternoon, and they were calling for rain, and this was, the, I think it was April 30th, and I wanted to get those beans planted as early as I could. So I take the planter to the house, swap out my corn uh, units for my soybean units, I go back, I plant the field, late get done after dark on a Saturday. And sure enough, they was right, it rained. I was a little concerned about getting a good stand, but we did. Every week, I would go out there and I would fold your feed. I, now, I didn't put a lot. Now, I'm not talking like three or four gallons every time, every week. I, I was putting around a gallon to a gallon and a half plus the microbes. So I did that all the way up to where I couldn't get across them with a ground rig anymore. And then I think I had one more. I did one more with an aerial application at R3 with product called Beast XL, which is actually a nitrogen product. That's a 2600.5B, isn't it, Rod? Yes, sir. That was, yeah. So anyway, they look pretty good. I was happy the way that it looked. I thought they would make possibly 75 bushels, maybe a little more than that. And I knew the rest of them would, uh, my experimental bean wasn't going to average that. But anyway, when it comes harvest time, they were ready before anything else because I got, we got that rain and I didn't get to plant the other beans for about two weeks later. So... <laughs> The first round I make in the field, uh, I, I said, uh-oh. I said, they're not going to believe this. I said, I've got to uh, have a little bit of proof here. That they're going to think I did something <laughs> not only up and up. So I called the local pioneer guy to bring his way wagon out, and I had him take some yield checks. So we did, we did three yield checks. One of them was uh, a little over 97, one was 98, and one of them was a little over 99. But we were sure we hoping to hit 100, but we didn't. But anyway, we went ahead and uh, 
finished the, I finished the field and hauled them all straight to town. I wanted, I had wanted to get the tickets. And the whole field, this was fountain, everything, in rows. I mean, they measure it down to the tenth of an acre. They come out and measure those fields, and they know exactly how many <laughs> how many acres you got. So when it's all said and done, they averaged 94 bushels per acre on my denim field. My 600 acres of experimental beans averaged 64. So we made 30 bushel extra on 600. So they paid me for another 18,000 bushels of beans. And like I said, I got the premiums and everything, and I don't remember the price in it. Beans were probably around ten dollars, and my premiums was probably going to add another dollar to that. So I probably got eleven dollars a bushel uh, for those ten thousand bushels of extra that I had. Well, that was uh, a pretty good year for you. Uh, even even if I hadn't got that done, the thirty one point four acre field making ninety four, you know, I might have had another thirty or forty dollars extra in it. But that's, you know, that was only four or five bushels at most. Exactly. And you picked up 30. Jerry, how many, tell me about your fuller feeding program now. How many acres do you do once? How many acres do you do twice? How many do you do three times? I'll tell you, on foliar feeding, a lot of people think, you know, if you got something that doesn't look right, that's that's field you want to really try to foliar feed and help it out. But you'll actually see a bigger yield boost off of your very best. I know I asked, I asked Denny Damon one time, I said, Denny, I said, if you were just going to do one foliar feed, which one would it be? And he said it would be the very first one. And he said if he's going to do two, that first and second one. Yeah. So on our corn, if we give it the full treatment, we're going to do <coughs> three foliar feeds. Right. We'll we'll start out, and I usually only do this on my top twenty percent of my ground. And anyway, we'll start out our first foliar feed. Cause first, when the corn gets up and is growing, and we'll get a tissue sample pretty early to see what the tissue sample says. Now, if we did that, I could pretty well tell you what that sample is going to be because after you do it a few years, it pretty it doesn't change much. I mean, it's just the way it is. But anyway, the first foliar feeding we try to do is between the V3 growth stage and V5 growth stage. We'll use, you know, different people in different areas of the country. They'll use different starter fertilizers. Some use like a base of a 318-18. Might have now they might have some of the potassium thiosulfate in there with it, which gives it a little bit different analysis. Some people use a 199. So whatever you're using for a starter, you can also use for a, a foliar feed. So we get that tissue sample, and so we know. Basically, what uh, you know, if we got any micronutrients that lacking, we we sure want to get them on there early to try to correct that. And I can just tell you from my soil sample, boron and zinc are pretty well always going to be low on the tissue sample. That's two things that I always keep plenty of, except one field. And we might, we got a story about that too, where I had some problems with my teeth. <laughs> 
that may be a different time. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, we're, we're we're going to get to that here in a little bit. But go ahead. Okay. But at the V three to V five growth stage, that's when I do the first. I, here's here's the, like the product I'd use. I use. I I wouldn't go over two gallons probably of the fertilizer. By you know, uh, by itself, a three eighteen eighteen or a nine eighteen nine. The micronutrients, if it's low in zinc or boron, which I usually am, I'll, I'll add those. Uh, sometimes I might put a little manganese in there. It just depends on how the tissue analysis is. We'll add a product uh, called Rainfast. We only add. <laughs> what is one ounce per hundred gallons of solution and, and that's all i know i'm forgetting something rod so if you think of something you know i use let me know i'm just well, i don't I mean you, you might be using you might be using nutrient compass you might be looking at oh, the yeah, yeah. you might be looking at some uh excito yeah. and you might be looking yeah. at and the sugar product sugar. yes yeah right. yeah yeah i yeah, pretty well use the sugar product here every time i fold your feet and the uh, Excito product, too. Now, that's probably not the first thing you want to reach for, but if you're really shooting for top yield, you know, we just use it once, even though, you know, I told you we fold your fed three right. times. We'd only use it on the very first application. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. So, and a little bit more about foliar feeding. The growth stage is critical. You know, I said V3 to V5, and I would, if I was, could I would probably hit that a little early because you never know when the weather's going to turn against you, and then you can't get it done. You know, if, if everything's good to go, I would probably do it at V3. But the weather forecast was was really good for a few days. I might wait till it got to V4 and get it in. When we spray a foliar feed, we want to use very high spray pressure. I try to at least have. 70 to 75 pounds of spray pressure. I really want to get that. We like to stay under 10 gallons of total solution per acre. So, you know, you, if you're adding a couple gallons of fertilizer and you might have micronutrients that might all add up to be a half a gallon at most. So, you know, you the rest of it can be water. You can make up the rest of it with water. But, uh, I wouldn't go over 10. We don't want to get so much out there. It's running off of the, the leaf. Right. And like I said, we want very high pressures uh, when we're spraying. We really want to fog it on. And the timing of the day is probably one of the most critical things you can do. I used to kind of always let, wait till late in the afternoon till the sun went down and started cooling off and I'd I start when it was almost dark, and I might finish with my lights on the sprayer. But now I, I tell you, I actually think the, the plant absorbs the stuff better real early in the morning when it's cooler and the humidity's higher. Either one is, is fine whenever you can get it done. But don't I wouldn't be afraid, even though you might have a pretty heavy dew out there, I wouldn't be too afraid of that either. With that rain fast on there, that really helps the absorption of the, the stuff. It'll go right through that. Uh, if you got dew on a plant, it has to go right through that, and, and it really helps out. So and that's two critical things. If it, and you, we, we want to talk about the temperature, upper limit. 
I don't know. I, I really don't like to be out, out there if it's over 85 degrees. I would, would never do it. But if you're out there early in the morning, it's not going to be 85. Now, right. Sometimes late, late in the evening, it, it can still be in the 80s when, when you're out there. So that's one of the reasons I think maybe early morning might be better. Sure, let me review. Could I just review a few things for the guys that are taking notes, and I hope they're taking notes on this. He's talked about the first stage, which is V3 to V5. And, guys, your staging of your plants, you can get a from Iowa State. There's a great little guide that tells you how to stage a corn plant or a bean plant. I want to encourage you that uh, you be taking those tissue tests about V2 because you got to get them in the Midwest labs, and then you got to get the results back. It takes a little time. And, guys, when your corn is at V3, when 50% of the plants in the field have a V3 stage. You're not waiting on 100% of them to get there. It's when 50% are. That also means you're going to get into V6 when 50% of the plants are at V6. And we want to do a full ear feed between V3, V4, or V5. That's the first one. We're going to get into some of the others here just in a little bit. The Rainfast Jerry is talking about is a product that we have. It's a non-ionic, 100% active ingredient surfactant. There is nothing else on the market like it. Normally, people are scared to full ear feed because in the morning because of the dew, and they're afraid it will run off. The reality is with Rainfast, it will soak in. It will actually run to the edge of the leaf. It will wrap around and cover the bottom of the leaf where the stomata is and actually enhance uptake a great deal. I hope you caught, guys, that he's talking about a minimum of 70 pounds of pressure. We'd like to see 70 to 85. I might encourage you to look at a stainless steel cone jet tip as a good way to get that pressure up and that volume down. Jerry said we want to be at 10 gallon or under. I'm a lot happier if we're under, if we'll get down to around five. So you have to have a very fine tip in order to be able to drive at a speed you can stay in the sprayer and still only apply five gallon on. And guys, foliar feeding is the exact opposite of what you want to do when you're spraying. You're out there spraying a chemical, you want a big droplet, you want it to drop straight to the ground and to do it very quickly. When you're foliar feeding, you want a fog. When Jerry turns at the end of the field and his headlights hit that, it should just look like there's a fog rolling in. And so those are some of the things that, that are really, really important. And I'll turn this back. To, and, and let me say this, guys. I'm put a disclaimer in here. Jerry's doing a great job on this call. And he's going to give you some tremendous information. But I can tell you that Jerry and I have worked together for 20 years. This is going to be our 21st growing season. And I can only speak to, and Jerry can only speak to, the products that we market. You can take these principles, but if you use some product that doesn't, I have no idea how the other products are going to perform. So I want to encourage you that you might want to get with the person who invited you to this call or reach out to us here at A Better Way to Farm and uh, let us help you with that. Now, all of that being said, Jerry, let's talk about that next window. You're going to be in there somewhere between V, what, V8 the next time you go back, 8, 9, or 10? Yeah. Yeah, let, let's go back to the, the reason we do that early foliar feed V3 to V5. There, there is a reason we, that time is chosen. That's when the corn plant is actually determining the girth of the ear. How many rows around that ear it's going to have, whether it's going to have 14, 16, 18, or whatever. That's when it's determined. So that is the reason we actually over your feet at that time. You know, you talked about getting the, those books from Iowa State University. I've had those 
for a long time, and I catch myself going back and looking just every now and then to see a really two good publications about how a corn plant grows and how a soybean plant grows, and it tells you how to stage those crops, and we talk about the growth stage, and you really need to pinpoint that good, because I know I didn't understand that good when I first started. I thought, you know, when a corn plant was the V4 growth stage, you go out there and you count four leaves, and it was V4. Well, that's not the way it works. you got to make sure it's got four leaf collars. The collars is what we got to count. So Absolutely. Two or three leaves on the top of that plant that will not have a collar. There may be seven leaves on a V4 leaf uh, corn plant, but it's, right. you know, it's only in the V4 growth stage, even though it's got those extra leaves. So that critical, you that could throw you way off. We're going to go on now, and, and uh, the second foliar feed would be from V8 to V12 in that time frame. V10 probably be the sweet spot on that, and there's a reason we do that one too. The reason for that is because that's when the corn plant is actually determining the length of the year. Remember I said the early one at the V3 to V5 was when it was determining the girth of the year, the number of rows. Well, this is this later one is determining the actual length. And pretty well, you know, I know people are not going to go out there and take three or four uh, tissue samples every year, but I pretty well would use the same product that I used at the, uh, the earlier foliar feed, except you remember I talked about that soil or foliar excito. I would not, you do not want to use it then. You only use it on the first one. So basically it's the, it's the same thing. Corn plant at that stage is probably going to be at the V8 to V12. Of course, it'd be a lot of difference between V8 and V12, but it's probably going to be what, what would you say, Rod? Maybe four foot tall? At, at, at V8, yeah. it'll be there. And by V12, it could yeah. be yeah. five to six. Yeah, if you get much past uh, V12, I wouldn't be able to get over it with a, a ground rig unless you had a, a rig that was extra tall, was you know set up to do that. Right on. So that that's basically what we do at the second foliar feed and the reason i mean the same same principles apply as far as timing of the day and pressure you're putting out there fogging that spray solution everything else is pretty well the same so it, it makes it pretty simple to do we still add that uh, rain fast product in there at one ounce per hundred gallon now you people say well that's not very much you take a thousand gallon tank and you're only adding a soda bottle or less of rain <laughs> that's all so and don't don't go overboard with that no uh we when we're just spraying normal spraying for weeds grasses then we would we would up that rate but uh, for foliar feeding with the fertilizer you don't want to burn that crop. You don't want to have any burning. That would be the second foliar. Exactly. And you know that's you that's want to add that rod. What's that? Do you do you need to add anything to that? 
No, just I do want to reiterate on the temperature. We never go out there when the temperature is 86 or above. And if we are doing it in the evening, we have to wait for the temperature to fall 10 degrees from the high and below 86. So if it got to 102, you got to wait on it to get down to 86. If it only got to 94, you got to wait on it to get down to 84. And guys, it's not difficult, but there are some rules. They're, they're like laws of nature. No different than gravity. You cannot defy the law of gravity. You cannot defy these rules of foliar feeding. It will not work for you. And we want it to work. And so that time of day and that temperature is really key. Mornings are probably much preferred. Jerry, let's talk about the last time you go. We're in our R2, which now we've got brown silk. You're going to switch products, and you're, you, it's not, you know, at the first one, we looked for girth. At the second one, we looked for length. What are we looking for at the third one, and what products are we going to use? Well, on the third one, we're just looking for grain fill. We're looking to make those kernels bigger, and we're looking to make them heavy. That's all we're going in. And actually, on that later one, the R2 growth stage, which is white blister, or brown silk, either one. As soon as the silks turn brown, that's the time to do it. You don't want to wait too late. This product, the first two I would not, I tried not to be uh, combining a chemical application with that. I like to just, like Rod said, it's two totally different. You know, you've got a lot of pressure out there, uh, and that's not what you try to do when you try to kill weeds. I usually don't, even though it may be an extra trip across the field. You know, it don't take long to get over a field if you're going 12 mile an hour and got a 90-foot boom or 120. It don't take long to get over some acres. But on the on the R2 at the White Blister, uh, we use a product called Beast XL. It's a nitrogen product. It's a 26% nitrogen, and it's it's 26.00, and it's got a half a percent of boron in it. Uh, and Rod, you may correct me here if I'm wrong, but now that product does have a little bit of rain fast in it, doesn't it? It does. You would not have to add rain fast there. Uh, yeah. If I did, I probably wouldn't add over a half ounce for 100 gallons. But right. here's the thing about that. I mean, for us, our corn gets pretty tall down here, and we have to have an airplane to do it when it's at that stage. We combine a fungicide application at the same time because that's almost an ideal time to, to do that also. So you can combine those two without any problems. And, of course, a plane down here, about three gallons an acre, is all they're, they're going to put out anyway. So it's all fertilized. I like to get up there close to three gallons of the Feast XL. And the Feast XL, you say, well, you're spraying liquid nitrogen on your corn. Well, this particular nitrogen, and I don't know all the chemical <laughs> things, properties of the nitrogen, uh, but it will not burn your corn. So you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> well, the deal is, is there's a couple of different products out there that are similar. They are made with a formaldehyde base, and they literally burn their way in through the leaf. Our product yeah. is made with a special nitrogen called triazone, and triazone is built to lay on that leaf and to absorb in slowly. You do not, I mean, you get zero spotting when you use the XL. Would you agree with that, Jerry? I agree totally. Yeah, you you won't ever know if you sprayed it. Now, you can see the spots on the leaf where there's a, the moisture 
hit it. You can tell that, but as far as a burn, you will never see burn with a piece of belt. Absolutely. And so, Jerry, I know that Matt, again, was involved. He sent me some pictures. You guys were pulling that first time you broke 330 bushel of the acre. He sent me pictures, and the corn was just green as a gourd and (laughs) testing about 22%. That's attributable to plant health. That's what we're after is that plant health. We should all be picking corn at 22% that looks green. you agree with that? I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you know, I know the picture you're talking about it, and actually, it was 22% when you run through the combine. If you if you hand shelled it, it was only about 20%. Uh, you know, <laughs> when corn's wet, it it, it just gets wetter when you run it through the combine. But oh, absolutely, absolutely. That is a that is amazing picture because I kind of when I've done presentations, I, I I don't show that I've run the combine. I I just showed the picture of the corn, and uh, I said, you know, ask the question, how long do you think it should be before I can probably start harvesting that? And then I show them the – then I drop down with my next picture, and you see I've already harvested. <laughs> it's it, it, it's a picture, yeah. Exactly. And, the, and he sent me a picture of the kernels on a board. There were four kernels and a penny. Share with the uh, people on the call, Jerry, what that looked like. How how do the kernels compare to the penny in size? Well, <laughs> pretty impressive, I can tell you that. I know that's the reason we try to keep the plant green as long you know as long as we can. We like that stay green. I got a story I can tell you about a crop. I, I guess it was 2007. Matter of fact, it was a, the first year. I think I ever broke 300 was 2007, and and it, I think it was 321. But I had the university extension agent. He was a supervisor, and he come out to you know help me supervise, do the measuring and the weighing and everything of the crop, and figuring out the yield. And and we we got done. He said, "Boy," he said, "You know, just looking at those ears." He said, you wouldn't think that corn would be making that much. He said, until you break one of those ears in two and see the kernel. So I I got to thinking. I said, well, I know what the yield is now. I'm out in the cornfield every day, folks. When, when, it's, when it's doing its thing, I'm out there every day looking at that crop. And I knew how many rows around. This happened to be a particular hybrid that did not make a lot of rows around. They, it was only a four, and it was only a fourteen row around hybrid. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, "Well, I have twenty and I have this." Well, that's more to do with genetics. You can, you might increase it a couple rows, but genetics is going to play a more important part. And if you got less rows, typically your kernels are going to be bigger. That corn was, it was about thirty-seven in length. That was it, fourteen to thirty-seven. And I said it made 321 bushels. So I did the math on it, and it took, you know, typically they say 90,000 kernels make a bushel. The further south you go, like us, normal, I would say down here would be 80,000 kernels would make a bushel because of the different type hybrids that we plant. But anyway, I did the math, and it took 52,000 kernels to make a bushel of corn. So. Percentage-wise, that's a lot different than 80 or 90. I mean, that's, Absolutely. that's 
that's where the yield came from. And the test weight was a 62, 63 pound too. And that's the whole deal with that third foliar feed, Jerry, is that you're going to pack that's in true. starch, you're going to pack in kernel size, you're going to get depth, and you're going to get weight. That's the bottom line. And that's the reason to do that way. Yeah. I want to make this point again, too. If a person's going to go out there and he's going to give it this full treatment of three foliar feeds, make sure you do this on your very best crop, you know, corn. Don't go out there on some corn that's got a low, uh, your soil tests are low and everything, and you're just hoping for the best or whatever. I remember Francis Child said, the reason you do that, say you're going to get a 6% yield increase by doing this. What would you rather have 6% on? 6% of 100, 6% of 200, or 6% of 300? Exactly. And that's why we do the row play starter and do everything right in the first place. Yeah, so that's the reason you want to, if you're going to do it, everything. Now, there are situations where, you know, a photography can be a little bit of a, a rescue. We saw that in the field one time here on, on mine, <laughs> a magnesium problem. We're going to get, we're going to get to that here just in a minute. Hang on. Um, Jared, tell me this. How many of your acres do you fully feed on the first pass? Then how many, you know, what percentage gets the first pass? And then what percentage gets a second? What percentage gets a third? If you were just on a typical, uh, I say probably. I don't do every acre every year, but I would say probably at least eighty uh, percent gets one pass. Probably forty percent gets two passes, and probably twenty percent gets three passes. Nice, nicely done. Okay. Yeah. And guys, we're, soybeans are the same thing. It's, you stage them, it's V3 to V5, it's again at V8, and then it's again at R2. V3 is when you have three sets of fully developed, fully developed trifoliate leaves. V8 would be obviously eight sets of fully developed trifoliate leaves. R2 is beginning bloom. Basically, you're going to have a pod that's three sixteenth of an inch in length in the top two or three nodes of the plant, and that's when you're going to be that R2 stage. Jerry, I, there is a time and a place, and you're correct, and I want to get to that, for a rescue treatment. Let's talk about a time when a rescue treatment served you very well. Well, uh, okay. I don't remember how many years ago it's now. It's been probably seven years ago or so, maybe the whole ride time flies. But anyway, uh, this was a my best ground. This was ground that I was going to push the yield and I was going to make sure I did everything right. Well, I get it planted, I get a good stand, and then I start seeing some yellowing on the plant. And and uh, I had, uh, on the lower leaves, I had uh, I had agronomists from the area. I had seed corn people come out. They said, oh, it's going to be nitrogen or sulfur. And I said, no, no, no. I said, just, just believe me. It's not one of those two because I make sure of that. Besides that, like I said, this is this is my best ground I've got this year that I'm that I'm doing this on, and I've got ground that doesn't have near the fertility that looks just fine. Nothing wrong with it. So I give you a call, don't I, Rod? And you and and you said, well, he said might have an idea here. He said he said Rod says, what's your uh, potassium? And your magnesium, and I did not remember 
the actual numbers on the soil test on the parts per million, I did remember that on the cation exchange capacity, the base saturation, the the potassium was like 9%, which is just really, really high. And the magnesium was like 12 or 13, which was right where I wanted it. He, and Rod said, no. He says, what's uh, actual parts per million? And I had to go look at my soil test, and I don't remember what it was. I think the, the, the potassium was like 300 parts per million or something like that, and the and the uh, magnesium was like 150. And he said, well, right there is your problem. And on the soil test, it said the potassium was very high, of course, but the magnesium, it said, was high. So why would you think you'd be having a problem if it, both one was very high and the other was high? Refer back to Denny Damon again. He had found out that and just started talking about this, and I didn't know it. But if your potassium gets higher than your magnesium in your parts per million, you might start having some problems. You may not see it. But when it gets up there to one and a half times, you're going to start seeing it. And when it gets twice as high, you're definitely going to see it. And it's not because the magnesium was low. It's just because the potassium was so high, it was overwhelming the magnesium and just was not letting it get into the plant. There was so, I I think I had some magnesium here. I did send off a tissue test just to confirm what Rod had told me, and he was 100% right. Everything on the tissue test was really good shape except the magnesium. So, I went out there and, and sprayed, uh, I don't remember what it was, a pint or pint and a half, and a week's time, you could never tell anything was ever happened. So, that was a situation where... The corn probably would have still made pretty good, but, uh, you know, it, it, it really made good after I corrected that. That's exactly right. And that's the deal is that's, that's a time when a rescue treatment really worked well. And that's something that we do want to look at on those soil tests is that magnesium potassium ratio and, uh, make sure it's not out of whack either direction. So yeah, so Jerry, I'm going you know, we didn't talk about it, but it can go where your magnesium is is so high, it's it's not letting the potassium get in the plant too. So it can work both ways if they get out of whack. Exactly. And Jerry has mentioned my mentor several times. One of the people who's been very influential in the, in my career is a gentleman named Denny Damon. Uh, I appreciate all the training that he has given us, and we use him uh, his teachings a lot. And where that's coming from, he did our fundamentals of agronomy training for many, many years and did a great job setting that up. Jerry, we have one fundamentals of agronomy training left. It's going to be Monday and Tuesday in Omaha. And uh, what would you say to someone on the call who's trying to decide if they should go to Omaha for two days or not? Well, you know, I've only made it to one. Uh, I wish I had an airplane to take me up there to, uh, to Omaha. I'd like to go to one more this year, but... If, if you've not been to one this year, I would highly recommend it. I uh, I went to Indianapolis. I thought we had uh, a great meeting. All the presenters did a really good job of, of presenting the material. You always learn something, too. I remember I learned something this last time that I didn't know. So uh, you know, always learn something. You may think you know about everything there is, but believe me, I still don't know 
everything there is. Exactly. So, uh, I'm still yes. All right. So you would encourage them to go is what you're telling them? I encourage you to go. Yes. All right. Well, Jerry, I've kept you for almost an hour. I appreciate your time. Do you have any closing comments you'd like to make here? Well, I hope everybody has a super good crop and the prices stay up there where they're at. But, you know, think about the, this foliar feeding a little bit. And and I don't blame anybody for not going out there doing 100%. You know, try a few acres and see what happens. But try to be timely and try to do it the right way. There's been a lot of negative talk about foliar feeding saying, oh, it doesn't pay. But uh, believe me, that's I just it just put me to a whole new level when I started holding your feet. It really did. So try maybe try you know twenty thirty percent of your ground your better and I would recommend your better looking crops. That's where I would try it. Beautiful. All right, well, Jared, thank you for your time, guys. I know that you were. Uh... You, you listen to a long call, and I hope you found it of great benefit. If you do, you can find us on Facebook at A Better Way to Farm. If you want to share it with a friend, that would be fantastic. I hope the audio quality is good enough that we can turn this into a podcast, and you can find the A Better Way to Farm podcast also on the platform of your choice. Uh, we always appreciate if you give us a rating uh, when you do that. I just want to encourage you, if you saw something of interest here, get with the person who invited you to be on the call. Or reach out to me at 641-919-1206. You can send me a text. You can send me a call. You can message us on the Facebook page. But I encourage you, don't let this opportunity pass. You've got an opportunity here to really implement something that's going to make a difference, and I want to encourage you to do that. Do something different this year. We wish you a very, very successful 2021. Jerry, I just want to say thanks again. I really appreciate it. You're quite welcome. I, I really enjoyed doing it uh, anytime. All right. Thank you, Jerry. Good night. Thank you for joining us this week on the A Better Way to Farm podcast. If you found value in this episode, we would appreciate you rating us on iTunes or simply sharing with a friend. If you like this show, be sure to subscribe and tune in next time for serious secrets about profitable farming.